Holy Spirit, would you weave this together into something that meets all of us where we're at? You've given us scripture. You've given us these stories of, of radical people that were sold out to you. And we want to be that, but we don't know what that looks like. And sometimes we don't want to be that, but we want to want to be that. And so would you meet us where we're at in the place you've called us for your kingdom's sake? So this is Acts chapter 16. It says, Paul reached Derby. These names are always fun, right? And then Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy. He was the son of a believing Jewish woman and a Greek father. We have how many Timothys in here? Good name. Um, the brothers and sister in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take Timothy with him, so he circumcised him. Don't think too much about that. This was because of the Jews who lived in those areas. For they all knew Timothy's father was Greek. As Paul and his companions traveled through the cities, they instructed Gentile believers to keep the regulations put in place by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and every day their numbers flourished. So you have to understand here that Paul, and he had just left with, split up with Barnabas, so to speak, but Paul is doing really well in ministry at this time, and he's thinking, let me go further into this, what I've already been doing. And the next thing he knows, he hits this brick wall of guidance called the Holy Spirit. And you can see, let me show you the map real quick of what Paul tries to do. You will not be able to, if you can read this, that's super impressive. <laughs> yeah. So we need to hit the zoom in button. But essentially what Paul's trying to do here is he's been in all these places down in the, the lower right making his way up. And then you can see at the top there, it's like he's headed with intention, troop, 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 headed up, and then boom. He hits this wall, and it's a huge change of direction, and that's what we're about to read. And you have to keep in mind that things had been going incredibly well for him at this point. All right, so Paul and his companions traveled throughout the regions of that one, Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit kept them from speaking the word in the province of Asia. When's the last time you went to evangelize and the Holy Spirit's like, stop? I'm going to go be a missionary. Stop. When they approached the province of Mysia, they tried to enter the province of Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them. Interesting. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas instead. A vision of a man from Macedonia, now that's a very important part. We're going to meet this man from Macedonia shortly. A vision of a man from Macedonia came to Paul during the night. In this vision, the man stands urging Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. The word that, uh, that Luke uses in writing this word for help is the same word that they would have used in the Greek version of the Old Testament that they would use to cry out in the Psalms, help me, Lord. It's this almost like a prayer. It's this cry for assistance, for rescue. Immediately after he saw the vision, we prepared to leave for the province of Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. Notice, Paul has a vision. He connects with his people. They conclude together that they're to preach the gospel in this new region. So they make their way there. Next. We're about to meet our man from Macedonia. Can we do it? We sailed from Troas straight for Samothrake, I think that's Samothrake. 
um, and came to Neapolis the following day. From there we went to Philippi, I'm just kidding, so six seconds, Philippi, a city of Macedonia's first district and a Roman colony. We stayed in that city several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the riverbank, where we thought there might be a place for prayer. We sat down and began to talk with the women who had gathered. One of those women was Lydia, a Gentile God-worshipper from the city of Thyatira, a dealer in purple cloth. As she listened, the Lord enabled her to embrace Paul's message. Once she and her household were baptized, she urged, Now that you have decided that I am a believer in the Lord, come and stay in my house. And she persuaded us. All right. Very interesting story if you're paying attention. All right. So the man from Macedonia turned out to be what? A woman. A woman from Thyatira. Have, it, it's so interesting. There's lots of uh, renditions of this where it says it was probably Luke, and that was the man because Luke ends up joining them at this point. But it's kind of fun, because this is the first, there's neither male nor female, they're all one in Christ Jesus right there, where he meets this woman. And there's a couple of interesting things about this. Um, she was a merchant, and she was evidently a wealthy woman. She was probably a widow, did a lot of research. There's a lot of things that you don't really know. But she had become a worshiper of God, probably was a Jewish, had a, uh, was not born Jewish, but accepted the Jewish faith. And, uh, but she was a worshiper of God. And so uh, it was interesting, you have to have, a, in a synagogue, you have to have a quorum, right? Did you know that? 10 people, 10 men ten people, males. 10 men people. <laughs> and <laughs> so there was no, there was no quorum in, that, in the city of Philippi. And uh, evidently it said Paul had been there for a while, a few days, and he must have heard a rumor that there was something going on by the river, a prayer meeting, because he ended up going to the river. And there are these women who are worshiping God. And it's, it's interesting because the whole process of this is, is a direction like listening to the Holy Spirit and doing what God tells you to do and also being practical. Find out where there's a quorum. Find out where there are some people worshiping God. And I think this is when we listened to Sarah's talk last week, and I was just talking to someone else, they said probably the most significant thing we got out of that was the early church. Literally, they were an expression of, of Christ. They didn't think or read all about Christ. They lived like Christ. They experienced it. So they're living it out. They were if Jesus looked to see what the Father was doing, they were constantly looking to see what the Father was doing. And she made this remarkable statement that there were like 8 million believers. Now, they didn't have the book or anything else to, to read, to think and ponder, to become educated about. They just had the Holy Spirit to teach them all things and a few letters that were scattered here and there. And they had to follow the Holy Spirit. The reason Christianity you could say probably the most significant reason that Christianity is valid is because it actually worked. They did the things that Jesus did, and it was pretty amazing. So that's, that's us. That's, we get to do that same thing. So anyway, so you have Lydia, and um, she's there, and she's evidently um, a well-spoken woman, and she is, uh, obviously has a business, and she's wealthy. She has home. And so she, God opened her heart, and it's interesting. It didn't say she thought through everything and learned everything that Paul had and then decided that it was true, you know? He said he opened her heart. How simple is that for God, 
for us to allow God to open our heart. I mean, that's, that should be a constant thing, right? As we go through life, just open my heart. I mean, every time we try to think things through, sometimes we just might say, hey, God, open our heart to hear what you want to do about this or that. So anyway, she's by the river, and, and Paul comes and he explains it. She decides it's true. Uh, God opened her heart. No, she didn't decide it was true. God opened her heart, right? Because look at this. She says, now that you have decided I'm a believer. Yeah. <laughs> so what, this is the new way to do evangelism. You just go around telling people you're a believer in Jesus. Right. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, what and do I do? And then they'll all be baptized, and it'll be wonderful. You know what I mean? But it says, you have decided that I'm a believer. And by the way, that word believe, going off of what Betty's saying there, we think believe is this, right? We think believe is to give mental assent to something, like 2 plus 2 equals 5 or 4. We believe that believe means knowledge. But the Greek word is this word pistuo, comes from this word pistis, which means to put your trust in wholeheartedly and be willing to give yourself over to way different thing than just agree with. It means to trust in, and there's a relational sense to it. And so there's another, we don't know all the reasons her whole household then were baptized. Was that a tradition if one person, we know that we're gonna find out in a little bit, a little bit later that there's another situation where the whole household got baptized. But to some degree, she had authority over her household. Or, or God opened all their hearts. I mean, it could be either way. You know, we, just, we don't exactly know how that came down. But they were all baptized. And then what does she do? She says, oh, come, stay at my house. Come. She invites them in. And that's that first sense of, of God opening your heart and, and hospitality coming out. Not a planned, organized hospitality, but just come. The Spirit of the Lord is with you. Come, you know. And I think that's part of our, our Christian walk, to be so open to hear the Lord that we want, we want to just invite people to come into our life, to, to be able to act in the moment of what God is doing and take and capture that moment. Just say, is this you, God? And then enter into it. Just enjoy it. So what happens after this? We're going to come back to Lydia because it's a, a, an intricate part of the whole thing. But we know then that this is the first group of believers in what we now we call Europe, right? But there was a really interesting thing that I ran across. Yeah. That's good, actually. And, you know, that would cause us to want to be trustworthy people ourselves, right? <laughs> How are we going to go around and tell people about Jesus and they couldn't trust us? Not that that's, that sounds like a work, but that's an odd thought. Well, because one of the things we see here is we often have these images, I think, or at least I do, of Paul being the typical missionary. And what does that mean? And that means preaching on street corners and throwing Bibles at people and stuff like that that, um, you know, missionaries should do every weekend. But... Um, <laughs> But what we see is a picture of Paul going around, working his way through relational networks, sharing with them, look, there's a new reality going on here, and I want your eyes to be open to it. We call this Lydia's conversion. But if you notice that nothing really changes about her life except for the thing through which she interprets all that she is and does. 
That's Jesus. She doesn't change her job. She doesn't change her social networks. She doesn't change anything about her family except that the person of Jesus moves to the center in her awareness, which changes everything. Does that make sense? It wasn't that Paul was telling her about something she hadn't been doing. Paul was opening her eyes to the reality that had been there all along. This is Jesus that motivates all that you're doing. And this is one of the things that Lydia makes me think of, is that the kingdom of God did not come in spite of her business or her family or her motherhood. The kingdom of God came in the midst of her business, her family, her motherhood, her household. There's a big difference. And, and in reality, possibly some of the women or the people that she was working with were people that were in her business, that she worked with. Because if that is your business, that is where your time is spent. And so that's kind of when I first encountered Jesus. I just wanted everybody to know about Jesus. But I didn't know how to tell them, and that was my, that was my heart. But I never thought about the fact that I would be like, oh, I'll, be, I'll get to be a pastor, or, and then I'll get paid, and then I'll tell them about Jesus. It was out of that actual passion, like, oh my gosh, I want everyone to know this amazing life that Jesus gives you, that he speaks to you, that he interacts in your life. And, so I can remember as a mom, I had five kids, and I remember this thing like, how am I going to tell people about Jesus? But I, I, the people I knew did, were not interested at all in a, uh, a, like a Bible study or something like that. So I had, to, I had to figure out in my head a little bit what I, what I would do or how I would do it. But I want to start a little bit earlier. There was something where I asked, I felt like from the beginning of meeting Jesus. I wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. I wanted to lay a foundation. Actually, I wanted to be a, a teacher of the, the things of Jesus. I wanted to lay that foundation. And it was funny because I almost felt guilty because it, sounded, it seemed like everybody wanted to do that. And, and the Lord asked, I, I felt the Lord said to me, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, well, that's what I want to do. But he says, well, why don't you ask me if that's something you want to do? So I said, well, okay. And I remember this really, I said, God, if you want me to be a teacher of Jesus, then you're just going to have to have, ask, have somebody ask me to be a, do a Bible study. Now, I mean, it was sort of ridiculous to, to be, I mean, but God and I had that kind of conversation because I, I really understood him as that kind of a, a God where he was very intimate with me. So anyway, I just happened to get pregnant with Matthew and there, you know, the time went on and I was thinking to myself, well, how am I going to be, you know, able to do this thing where I'm going to do a Bible study or I'm going to do something, you know, for God. And, um, and I'm getting more and more pregnant and I'm thinking, what, what is it like to have a little small baby again and have four other children and have life? And, and I'm like, well, I guess God doesn't want me to do this thing. And it was so funny, just before I delivered Matthew, I get this phone call from this person saying, you know, there's this Bible study of nursing mothers, and they, they just wondered if you would lead it. And I'm like, I, I, and then God reminded me, you asked me. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. So my first initiation was with a bunch of screaming babies and poop and everything else. We would sit around, and nobody could hear anything. And it was really good because it was really, really good because it wouldn't have been good to hear me at that time. I was just beginning to develop, you know, a little bit. So, but it was wonderful. And then I realized that all the people I knew, they, the people I did, they, they didn't want to go to a Bible study. They were kind of all my neighbors and all the kids that my children played with, and they were a bunch of, 
we, this was the 60s and everybody was trying to find the truth and love and all those kind of good things. But mostly the, in my little group was the truth, you know. So I thought, how am I going to get these people to come hear the truth? You know, because I, I found it. So I bribed them. You know <laughs> what I mean? I, I knew that every woman wanted, and this was a woman thing. Now the men could, could relate to this as well. But this is a, at that time, it was kind of a woman thing. I knew that every woman wanted to have an, an actual conversation with an adult person. They just didn't want to talk to children all the time. You know what I mean? And so that was number one. Number two, they wanted coffee and they wanted food and they wanted someone to take care of their children while they had that intellectual discussion. So I had them to my house, I made scones, I made coffee and I hired a babysitter. I didn't have any money. I had up to 40 children in my house during those times and I had a door that you could shut. And then we would, we would just have these moments and I think it was out of desperation and oh, I titled it. I knew they wouldn't come to a Bible study. So I thought, how can I get them to come? They were all sort of, all kind of college educated, you know, and I said, well, has anybody ever studied the primary writings of Western civilization, <laughs> right? What would those be, right? The Old and the New Testament, right? So, <laughs> so I, I thought, well, uh, let's do this. A every intelligent person should study the primary writings of anything, right? So sure enough, they came and they were captured by the food and the coffee and the babysitting. I, and I kept them because I, every week I did this, you know. So this is talking about, you, you, have both, you have both the interaction of God where he asked me, what do you want to do? And you have the part of your whole head, what do you love to do? And then you have God arranging, you know, the initiation of that and putting ideas in your head and letting you experience the, the presence and the power of God. Now, the other funny thing, and I, I, I don't want to take up too much this hey, time, but... We're, let's just hang on, okay. Lydia. Okay, well, we'll, well, we'll go. We've got further to go. Sunday, you know. sure. I think but there's another Sunday. Coming. The funny thing is, so we've been concentrating on this thing where it's about the, um, the presence and the power of God, and uh, that it's, that's really what early Christianity was. Well, I was heady with the knowledge of God. I loved the knowledge of God. And like many other Christians, you get kind of enraptured with the knowledge of God. So I laid down this foundation. It was all about the knowledge of God. And then my husband, Mike, who was much more in, into the power of God, he would, he would come by and he would come into the room and he'd say, hey, I just think I should pray for you all. And I was just like, no, not yet. I haven't told them everything yet. They haven't, I haven't done it all, you know? And, and he would just, he, I remember him, he would get them in a circle and he'd say, I think I'm going to pray for you. Now, most of them weren't Christians yet. I didn't think. I didn't know what that exactly meant. But, you know, I was laying a foundation. And the Holy Spirit would come on them, and they'd have this power encounter. And I was, I was half mad and half glad. You know what I mean? I was like, what about me? You know? I mean, I was trying to get, get this. But that's, that's part of it. See, God gives so many ways for us to know him. And he doesn't let us lie in our bed of great knowledge or our bed of just all power encounter. It's all of it. You know, it's all of it. He makes the arrangement. He's God, you know. So anyway, I think that Lydia was meant to be that very first person in Europe, in Macedonia, and, and she, was, she was meant to generate, have a, a gracious home, a place where people could come. And we know that followed on because later in the story, they all come back to her home with all these other odd people that they've now collected. It's, it's the establishment of the first church, 
you know, in Europe. And, and then later on, we know uh, that the Church of Philippi prospered and, and that people loved the Church of Philippi. It, it, was, it was commended and it had joy. And I mean, some of our most amazing scriptures come out of that place. That was established right there on the river by the Spirit of God when God opened the heart of man. And then it was also taken care of over the years by the people that God entrusted to take care of that. So there's another little, in, and I, I'm not leaving Lydia, but because um, it'll be woven into the rest of it, but there's one other quick thing. After Paul would come back and forth, and he, would, he was teaching there, and on the way coming back and forth, are you going to talk about this, that they would, there was this lady who would go around and she would proclaim, you know. Another working woman. Another working woman, right? Have we gotten to that part yet? We can. Okay, it's next. Okay, and she would proclaim, I, I think, what does she say? Um, she made a lot of, okay. Ba, 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 ba. She These people are servants of the Most High God. So it was, what was really interesting about this is, I don't know if you remember, but in the Gospels, um, when right as Jesus has just gone through the temptation, he's beginning, he's been baptized, and he begins his ministry, there's a spirit that comes along and says, this is the most high God about, about Jesus. So there is a proclaiming by even the spirits knowing that, that Jesus was coming and the power of God was coming. As they go into Europe, there's this proclaiming by the, the spirit, like, oh my gosh, you know, God is here. So we, we know that she's a fortune teller. And of course, finally, it says that Paul is kind of irritated. He just delivers her. So that was normative Christianity, right? We have someone who is uh, speaking not out of the spirit of God, actually telling the truth, kind of confusing, but, right? But it was normative Christianity to say, oh, stop, you know. Now, I don't know for sure that that girl became a part of this church that was the church at Philippi, but I kind of suspect she did. You know, I, that was kind of the way Jesus worked. There was, there'd be a power encounter and then they'd become a follower. So now we have women, women gathered around and possibly we have an ex-fortune teller or, you know, who's been delivered of a spirit that's a part of this group. And then we go to the next thing that happens. Should we, or a couple more things about this. So I think it's kind of <laughs> great that you know, we, I don't know what your experience is with spiritual warfare and people talking about demonization and stuff like that, but I love Paul's response. He's just irritated. He's like, look, quit trying to do my job for me. Shut up. Go away. And then he just keeps on walking, but it's crazy that this, this spirit is preaching the gospel for them as they go. Like, hey, by the way, this is what they're doing, but most likely, and it's, it's possible that they're actually trying to get Paul, trying to divert him or hold him back from getting out to the riverbank and from where these women are gathering. Because for some reason, the Holy Spirit felt it was so important for this particular group of women to hear from Paul. By the way, if they're in a place of prayer, don't you think that God could have just spoken to them? Hey, here's the truth, here's the reality. What did the Holy Spirit do instead? The Holy Spirit sent a person to invite them into relationship through which the truth became real to them. The Holy Spirit didn't just say, download, here's the answer. The Holy Spirit said, hey, there's a person I want you to know because salvation is always relational. It comes through community and relationship. Um, but what was I going to say with this? 
people also think that Lydia, because of her very name, the province where she was from, Thyatira, oh. Lydia was the name of the province. Her having that name most likely meant that she was an ex-slave. And so maybe the church at Philippi had two ex-slave girls that were primary mm -hmm. pieces of it, which is just kind of interesting to think about. And so the, the only reason I kind of want to askew into the next thing that happens is because this is all related. It's related in the way God forms a church. And it's related in, in the way that we can trust God to do his work. It's, it's about his work and how it relates to us. And it's, it's because you go into this next thing, which seems like this impossible situation. So Paul is arrested. He's arrested, Paul and Silas, right? Yeah, uh -huh. they're arrested. And because they have, the fortune teller used to be the source of money for her employers, and they lose this source of money. So he's arrested, and he's thrown into prison. And the only reason I want to kind of move it all together because this is the whole, this is the church being established. And it's so odd and so fun and so the way God does stuff. So what do they do when they get down there, when they get in the prison? And I guess it's a really a hole. They just talk about what that's like. It's really deep down in the hole. They are worshiping God, right? Is that, is, are we on that part? So they've been, just, they've been okay. beaten. Okay. So these people lose right. their source of income. They turn them into the magistrates, the, the city governors, and Paul and Silas are stripped down, they're beaten, they're put in prison, and they're put in what's called stocks, which stocks were things that weren't just used to hold somebody, but also to torture them. And so they, they're not able to sleep, they're wounded, and of all the things that they could be doing in the midst of prison, things they could be complaining about, frustrated about, they decide to sing songs, sing and <laughs> pray, and pray, as you do, right? Yeah. And so everybody's, the prisoners are hearing him in there, and also the jailer. So then, what happens next? So, um, okay, keep going. Keep going? They, oh, their feet were in stocks as well, which is really important. I mean, they were really buttoned down. You know what I mean? So as they're singing, uh, all at once, there's a violent earthquake, and it shook the prison's foundation. Now, you're like, Yes, the violent earthquake has come and I am delivered, right? Wait a minute. An earthquake that sets them free from their stocks without crumbling the roof of the prison. Right. See, he gets the details. Interesting. I like the whole story. He gets the details. There's good. <laughs> I'm such a detailed guy. No, Ask that's my wife. <laughs> so, but I mean, I kept thinking, you know, they, they, I, if it was me, I would be like, yes, showed you guys. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm <laughs> out of here. walking on out of here, you know. But the jailer. Oh my goodness, he saw that the open doors of the prison and he thought the prisoners had escaped and so he was going to kill himself. And Paul immediately shouts, don't harm yourself, we're all here. I mean, stays in the prison. I mean, he's had a miracle, a major miracle, but he has to ask, he obviously, I don't know if he says, God, you know, what am I supposed to do about this? Or he just knows this is the right thing because he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's been singing hymns. He knows that it, this man's life is significant and important and that God's in the middle of this. So in the middle of this painful, awful thing, he actually chooses to save the jailer's life, which is, he says, no, stop, don't do it. Now, the other prisoners are there too, right? So, so what happens next? Really quick, later on in, in the book of the letter to the Philippians, in chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says, greet those in the church there for me 
especially those that are of Caesar's household. Mm -hmm. What did that mean? Mm -hmm. Those that were employed by Caesar, a.k.a. the jailer and all of the people that worked at the jail, mm -hmm. who had become part of the family called the Philippian church. Right. The jailer had. So the jailer ca uh, calls for some lights. Wretched falls trembling before Paul and Silas. He led them. Whoops, where did it go to? What happened? Did I jump the gun? I never okay. do that either. Da, da, da. Anyway, violent earthquake. And anyway, um, he, the jailer calls for some lights. He says, honorable masters, what must I do to be rescued? And what do they, what do they say to him? Hold on a second. What does that question even mean? How many of you have heard that translation say, Detail. what must I do to be saved? As yeah. in, and we translate that, what must I do to not go to hell when I die? Wrong. Wait a minute. He was <laughs> just about to kill himself. Obviously, he wasn't really thinking too much about that, wasn't he? He had a different question on his mind. So what was that question? So he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole and entire household. They spoke the Lord's word to him and everyone else in his house. Right then, in the middle of the night, the jailer welcomed them, washed their wounds. He and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his home and gave them a meal. He brought them in. I mean, isn't that crazy? He was overjoyed because he and everyone in his household had come to believe in God. So he... So the response, and the thing that struck me about this was the, the presence and the power of God and the way that he reacts. He invites them into his home. But what is he excited about? Not because he's not killed himself or they've been rescued or anything else, but he's excited. He's overjoyed because his household has come to believe in God. Because believing in God, is not, it's, a, it's a world where the lights turn on where you are now part of God's kingdom. You're a child of God. It's, it's so exquisite and remarkable, the thing that God offers us. He offers us to be his child, to be able to live in his house and to do the work of his kingdom. And our response is not like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a lot of work, right? Our response is being overjoyed at the love that he's poured out into us. And it's not about the work that goes forward, but allowing that love just to flow. It's, it's the pleasure of the Lord, and it's the most fun thing in the whole world is to live that out with Jesus. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, I can tell you, I'm old now, so I can say it's been, it, there. I, I forget, it's kind of like childbirth, you forget the pain of it, and <laughs> you remember the joy. And I look no, around exactly today, there's actually a few people here that faces that bring me back the joy, just seeing these people like, oh, I, I got to be part of their life at some little point, you know, and besides birthing a couple of them, you know, I did that one too. <laughs> I was thinking, <laughs> I, was, I mean, well, I guess other kinds of births, right? There's birthing and birthing. But anyway, I just, it's, so now we have this crazy church, right? And it is 1130, so I'm, I'm closing up here. But we have this crazy church. Think of this combination. You have a woman who is established in a business, and she has her whole household, and she's probably relatively wealthy, and she's loving God, and, her, and, the, and the people her whole household, and possibly some of the other women that were at the river, whether they were her household or not, we do not know. 
then you have the gal that was, I, I would call her the crazy lady, you know, <laughs> but it's okay, redeemed, fixed up, you know, she's a part of this whole thing. Then you have the jailer and his whole family who are part of the establishment, right? And then you probably have the prisoners because the other prisoners, it they saw, yeah, they saw everything that happened. Now, what kind of a fun church would that be, right? <laughs> and look what God did. He did it in, he did it by his spirit. And, but all Paul had to do was say, God, what are you doing? What do you, what do you want me to do? He had to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. You go right back to the very beginning when he saw this picture or this vision of this person, man from Macedonia, he immediately got up and went, right? And I think sometimes that's, that's sort of a good little word for us. Immediately respond to what God says to you. Don't ponder it too long or worry about it or struggle with it or think, of it, is it God? Try responding just to the voice of the Lord. And the more, you he the more you ask in that, the more you hear it, the more you respond, the more you see, oh, you're in that. And he, is, he get thrown into prison and a few things like that. But, you know, what difference does that make, right? <laughs> because if the Lord is with you, it's glorious. Okay, yeah. so. And sometimes, because what we see with the disciples is Jesus' invitation, come and see, right? The disciples follow after and they're like, where are you staying? He says, come and see. And to some people, as he leaves his disciples, it's go and do. But what we see in Acts, apart from Paul, is it's actually this stay and be. Stay in your situation. And even Paul and Silas, they're in the middle of prison. They're in this system that they, of course, want to be set free from. They want to be out of. And yet when their shackles come off, they don't leave. Because there's somebody there that they were called to bring light and hope and truth to in the midst of the system. And I think sometimes I think about some of us in our lives, and we're in these systems of work and these different things that we, places we find ourselves, we're like, if I could just get out of this and be free from this and go do what God's called me to do, and God says, well, wait a minute. Have you ever heard the phrase, be in the world but not of the world? You heard that? It doesn't say that in Scripture, but the point in Scripture is made very clearly. But here's an interesting thing. The word world in Greek is this word cosmos, which we get our word cosmos. You know what that means? It means all that we see before us, but it also means system and structure and order. The word came to mean world from this book, the Iliad, by Homer, and it originally meant the good order, the good system. And so what Jesus is implying to us through this is saying, sometimes you need to stay within the system, but operate freely within it. Be in the system, but not of it. Because if he would have just been, get out of there, I'm done. We wouldn't have the story of the jailer and the jailer's life that truly mattered to God. And Lydia stayed in her, uh, she continued to be a merchant where she was and supported her, her people, the thing that was going on. And her home became a place of hospitality where people could come and, and experience and hear more of the Lord. So they, she stayed in the situation. We don't know about the crazy gal. Sounds like she joined the other group. You know what I mean? But the... But I think that's the, the method of it. If, if you are to be, God knows you. He knows where you are. He even formed you before he ever called you. And therefore, the things that you love, the things that are meaningful to you, are probably what he's going to call you into. So kind of ask him, like, what does that mean, God? What does it mean that, like, I, we, the, a word that kind of came to me just as I was getting ready for this was, I, got, I get this, this 
word. It says, you know, uh, what shall I do? And I, I kind of looked it up. I Googled it just for the fun of it. It's, it's the same thing that, that Paul says when the Holy Spirit, the light comes upon him and he's knocked off of a horse and he recognizes the presence and power of God. He says, what, will, what shall I do? You know, that was her, what, what do I do, Lord? And then the Lord gives him instructions. But it's also similar to when the man, Jesus is walking along and, the, and he sees a blind man and he asks the blind man, what do you want? And the blind man says, I want to see. Now, this is a whole other discussion. We won't go there. But mm -hmm. I think there's two things that, that I see out of that. Is God says, what do you want? What do you want? of him and then then you say to him you know after you tell him what you want you say what shall I do and then you get that response from the Holy Spirit and he I believe he's been guiding leading directing I see it over and over his amazing ability to place people at the right place at the right time because he's God and we get to be involved in this miraculous operation so how do we become the people that see? If the Father is always working, what is the Father working in the hearts and lives and minds of the people that we rub shoulders with every day? And how do we participate in that? And how do we become the people that flip on the switch? When the lights are off, things don't change. Things don't move. It's just that you can't see them. So our calling is to help be the ones to flip on the switch to see the reality that Jesus has come to meet people where they're at and that the kingdom is already here. And now we get to see that and embrace that and live in according to that reality.